everybody, and welcome to Mind the Gap, Enablex's only podcast on sales and marketing alignment. I'm your host, Nick Zeke Lopez, and today I am joined uh, uh, by Eric Manser. Uh, Eric, thank you very much for being on the show. Nick, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on Mind the Gap. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. So, um, so the theme today is going to be transitioning to marketing and product marketing from being a user. So with that in mind, could you give us just a little bit of background of, of where you're at today and, and how you got there? Sure. Um, I have been a product marketer for a little under 10 years. And my first job as a product marketer, I came from customer success, uh, was taken under, um, under the wing by a VP of marketing uh, at a company called Crayon. I'm sorry, at a company called Manigans. Uh, that's where I was working. And uh, became the senior product marketing manager, sat down in my chair in my brand new department, and that VP of marketing said, hey, I've got this new software that I just bought that I want you to start using. It's called Crayon, right? So here I am at Nanigans, brand new product marketer, uh, and being sat um, really you know, right in front of a, a screen with competitive intelligence software, which is not something that I had necessarily been exposed to in my role in customer success. You know, I worked in advertising technology. The type of competitors we were tracking were the, you know, the, the sprinklers and the, the Criteos and the, the, at the time, Kenshu, but now they're called Skies. We were tracking all of you know, what their digital footprint was out of, all about within this, this platform, Crayon which I thought was pretty remarkable, um, automatically ingested insights from all over the internet based on uh, the parameters that we had had. It was, it, was, it was searchable. It was, you know, you could customizable. It was, you know, a ton of analysis you could do. It was very, very, very cool. So then I, I left uh, this company, Nanigans, went to work at a different company, Wordstream, and um, which eventually was, you know, s- pulled back up into the, the corporate governance of Gannett, who was the, um, the, the primary owner. And it wasn't until I got to the end of my tenure with Gannett um, did I start looking for other gigs and found a job at Crayon, which was really great and really certainly helped me in the, uh, in the job interview process by saying that I am a former customer. I used to use Crayon back now at this point six, seven, eight years ago. So I'm now the VP of product marketing at Crayon, competitive intelligence software platform, and I have the great benefit of being able to tell customers that I myself was a Crayon user as a product marketer uh, back in the day. I was the primary uh, user of competitive intelligence at my company, and I used Crayon to do it. And I think that carries a little bit of weight when you're talking with customers or even prospective customers about the fact that you know, the guy who does product marketing, who runs product marketing for Crayon, is himself a former user. Um, but I think what we're about to talk about is that my usage of Crayon back in the day is not necessarily the same as everybody else's usage. And as I've talked to hundreds of customers here at Crayon over the past now, almost two years now, about a year and a half, you know, you, you're come to find out that people use your software in a different way than even you had used it when you were a user of it back in the day, right? Um, right. So that's a little bit of an inch deep, mile wide as to my story and how I've gotten here and, and what I'm doing here at, at Crayon. You know, I can imagine too. Tell, tell me if this is off base, right? Right. Uh, VP product marketing. So, like, maybe you get pulled into more enterprise, like late stage deals or stuff like that, and it's like the big reveal, like he was a user, and it's like, oh, right. I could see, I could just see it getting set up. Be like, oh, and he knows he bought it. 
Uh. Well, the the thing is, I mean, the, so many of our customers and the person who ultimately makes the buying decision is a, a strategic or a senior product marketing leader themselves. That's often who we sell to. So I'm brought in as a, you know, almost like as, as an audience avatar. So, hey, uh, let's get this, uh, you know, strategic product marketer talking to another strategic product marketer about competitive intelligence. And the added bonus is I was a Crayon user back in back in the day there's there's some element of um, you know almost like not almost like third party validation in addition to the first party validation by virtue of the fact that I I work here now so mm-hmm. there's there's a combination of those things and honestly nick when i am brought into these conversations and that do, that is part of my intro as you alluded to oh yeah he's a crayon he's former crayon user there's something to be said like the subtext there is that Eric wouldn't have come to work at this company if he thought the <laughs> software that was didn't crap. Work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like you know, if, if think think of a, a piece of software that you think sucks right now. Don't say it out loud because you want people to listen to this podcast and not you know <laughs> say Nick's a jerk. But well, we can we can edit know, this. <laughs> I'm sure we could. Would you go to work for that company knowing what you know about the uh, just the pure the user experience of the software? Probably not. You know, you would get, yeah. you, at the very least think twice about it. So. That's another reason why I think I'm brought into those types of conversations where it's, you know, that is that's very much a, a proof point for, you know, a, the crayon experience because this guy, me, felt it appropriate to come work for this company, having had used the software for, you know, quite a bit uh, in his, his ad tech days. Right. right? And and that's that's what interested me about this episode, because that's that is pretty much my background as well. Right. Purchased Enablix uh, as the head of product marketing, loved Enablix, um, got roped into working here. Uh, and when I say mm-hmm. roped in, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the product and, and, and they enjoyed my product marketing. And so we came in and we did marketing here. Um, and so I kind of want to contrast our experiences because I know it's a little bit different. Uh, I want to start with you first. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel so when you got to Cran? Was it and you started? To, you know, in your first few weeks as a product marketer, you talk to customers, you you read the stories, you, you do all that. Did you find it was like, oh, these are my people, or did you find that that maybe some of the users were like you or unlike you? What was that like? It was really interesting. You know, so for, first thing I did was um, we need to do a very we need to do a better job of telling our product roadmap and vision story to customers and prospective customers because. Mm-hmm. You can buy you can buy the thing as is, but you also want to have an understanding of what it's going to be in the future. You know, a good example of this is um, you know when when HBO Max was launched, they were launched with all of the existing back catalog of HBO, but then they had this huge sizzle reel of the stuff that was going to be on it over the next you know year plus. So you weren't simply buying it for the old episodes of The Sopranos and Deadwood and Game of Thrones. You were buying it for the anticipation or the prospect of getting a bunch of Warner movies that were eventually going to end up on the platform. So, you know, the various Batman movies and DC stuff and the Harry Potter stuff or whatever, whatever, whatever. It was going to end up on the platform in the future. So – what I when I said to you know sales leaders, customer success leaders, when I arrived here, I said, let's start, let's get better about telling that story. And if it, it mm. needs to be me telling that story, that just gives me a yet another excuse to get in front of our existing customers. So that was part of what it is that I was doing was I crafted this giant narrative, which was based in reality. I didn't make it up about <laughs> what we anticipated the future of competitive intelligence to be and how our software is going to address that. And then I got sat in front of 
like I said, countless customers and uh, both current and future customers to tell them that story. And as I was telling the story about the things we were building within our platform, uh, the customer success managers prior to having these conversations would say, oh, well, you really don't need to mention that because they don't use that aspect of the software. And I would say, oh, that's weird because like, that's to me would seem like a really big use case. Uh, yeah. Or another example, oh, no, actually, they actually don't really pay attention to that part of the software. They use, some, use it for something different. And that's when I started to double click and be like, tell me a little bit more about these people that don't use sizable aspects of our software. And that's what got me thinking like, wow, this, this is a, you know, for competitive intelligence professionals, this can be a Swiss army knife and you don't always need the toothpick that comes out the side. You don't always need the, you know, the saw blade attachment. You know, you can really use our software for a litany of different things. And, you know, we obviously build for the sizable portion of the use cases, but there's plenty of other use cases that, you know, I myself as a, as a former end user didn't use it for, but there's a lot of customers here that certainly do. Um, so that to me was really interesting to find that out either in the pre-conversation or the actual conversation with the customer about how they, how it is they're using the software to their advantage and help it, you know, how it's, it's, it's paying dividends for them in the long run. Right. Yeah. I, and for me, it was less coming to enable kind of, I wasn't really shocked at how people were using the tool. Um, I, I was, uh, there were a lot of people that I, you know, there, obviously there were the, the edge cases where I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, the thing that, that surprised me and the thing that was different for me is how people bought. Mm -hmm. uh, I came from an organization with, an, with, with just the, the, where I was as a, as a professional. Um, I was able to, to kind of see Enablex and say, oh, this solves that problem. Let's go buy it. Mm -hmm. And what I was immediately confronted with is, is a lot of people not having that purchase levity or purchase parity or whatever that was. Um, which unfortunately made it a lot harder for me. <laughs> like I'm expecting all these people to just like be like, oh yeah, let's go buy your thing. And I'm like, wait, not everybody's just buying this? And it's not that they're buying other things. It's that they're taking so much longer to buy than I would have expected or right. or, or they're choosing not to buy. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. how is this not, not worth your time? And so for me, it was less of a feature function and more of like earlier in, the, in, the, in this case, deciding what was important, like the amount of time spent looking versus the purchase price um and and i would say that wait, you could you, i think people use a lot of terms for it almost that customer empathy got beat into me over you know talking to dozens of people that are like oh this is going to be a six-month decision and i'm like why why would you yeah. do that to yourself yeah yeah um, i mean i think about it this way we we have pr pride ourselves on creating competitive intelligence tools that help customers uh capture competitive insights, analyze them and curate them into competitive intelligence, and then activate them throughout their organization, right? So three-pronged mm -hmm. approach, capture, analyze, activate. And the expectation is the average customer is going to do all three of those things. They're going to use the software to capture insights, to analyze them, and activate them. But what we've found is that some people just love the insights. They want to pull that mm -hmm. stuff in. They want to take those data points. They want to analyze them. They may not necessarily ever use our tools to activate them. They may use any number of different existing pathways within their own organization to help activate that intelligence. Or we work with a lot of companies that don't have 
you know, on boots on the ground sales teams. So right. they're basically using our tools and technology to capture and analyze. But the end result of that is not a, you know, a battle card or a dashboard or, or a newsletter that, again, can be activated from within our tools. It's like a, a quarterly competitive dossier that runs up to the CEO of a Fortune 50, Fortune 100 company right. that helps them make better strategic decisions. That's the core use case of the software. So that to me, when you say, oh, gosh, why was this buying cycle so long? If someone's coming across our transom and wants to, you know, kick the tires on our software, if their ultimate end use case is not just a tactical, you know, give give a a, a SaaS salesperson the ability to to, to parry competitive um, uh, conversations and and do better mm -hmm. about it and better understand their market landscape. If the actual end use case is supplying the CEO and the rest of the C-suite and perhaps the board with competitive data. That's that's not going to be a three month buying cycle. That's going to be quite lengthy. And when we're working with some of the, the customers that we're working with now in a very 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 upper echelon uh, enterprise space, you know, you're talking about you know some of the first uh, three, four, five letters on the stock tickers. You realize that this is not going to be just a sort of fly by night easy decision. You know that it's going to have to take some time for it to get through corporate governance, get a ton of approvals all the way up the food chain in order to say, yeah, we, we feel confident in making an investment of a tool of this nature because that is going to be the tip of the spear for a ton of strategic decision making moving forward, right? That's actually a thing I've always really liked about, with my knowledge of of, of Cran and really your your industry, right? Like the tools like yours. So when you when you compare and contrast that to what Enablex does, like if you just try, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to go too deep down the product hole here. You just turn Cran on and it's giving you something, right? You're getting insights. Like you just you kind of you say, hey, these are the companies. It's giving you something. I think with content it's that's that that's almost an imagined hill for many people like okay we have mm -hmm. to get because it's our internal content and no matter how yes. good your integrations are no matter how and i think that that time to value right a lot of people talk about that like every product marketer it, it talks about that i think that that coming to enablex from my organization i was like oh yeah that's a that's a one week hill like i don't i literally don't care about that hill for many people that time to value is is very important and they I don't think can't get past that. We we weren't messaging it well at the time. Whereas with a CRAN, it's like, hey, you get some of the value right away, and then you mm -hmm. keep getting more and more and more. And it's almost like this really, uh, I don't know, cool thing putting your product. But to your point, some people they're just fine with that day one stuff, and then to to build on that that they couldn't get outside of it. Well, we're also finding too, and I found this even in the ad tech space, right? Like we. I was working with a customer during the tail end of my ad tech days and you know, was talking about how I was departing and going to a different company. And, you know, this guy, CEO of a of a advertising technology agency, digital advertising agency, said, you know, when we bought your software, we expected it to make our lives easier buying ads on Facebook. But what mm -hmm. we didn't realize, it was going to come along with all of this uh, knowledge and all of this capability that came from the people who worked there. Like you guys taught us how to advertise on Facebook, not just taught us how to advertise on Facebook using your tool. And I think that is something that you'll get instant time to value with a tool itself. But the longer term time to value comes from the education and how the tool itself can actually influence the process. So you're absolutely right. With any one of these, you know, competitive intelligence software solutions, you're going to be able to see insights come in. Sometimes, you know, depending on the, the software solution, the insights are better or, or, or not as robust, but you're going to be able to see an insight. 
But a, a competitive insight is not competitive intelligence. Like that needs to be curated in some capacity. I need to be able to say to my sales team what this link actually means, what this article is actually saying, what it means to us. So what we find is that, yeah, sure, there's a, a one, two-week you know, initial, oh my gosh, these are awesome, these aha moments as they start showing up within your insights feed. But it does take time to sort of say to a competitive intelligence professional, oh, there's more you can do with this. Or, hey, this insight actually should go next to this insight that actually provides more context. Now suddenly you've got competitive intelligence, right? And I think about it, you know, using not like a John La Carre novel, but almost like Spycraft, right? What one thing that one of your sources will tell you may not necessarily be con- consequential on its own, but that little piece of intel plus another little piece of intel plus another little piece of intel suddenly you start building a narrative. That to me is competitive intelligence, and that is the thing to your point, Nick, where um, you know comparing Enablex to, to Crayon. That is the thing that takes a little bit more time. That's the thing that says, oh, okay, now I get it. Now it's just no more just, oh, this one announcement that, that, a, that a, uh, a competitor is going to make, that's, that's valuable. But combine that announcement with the three months of blog posts that came before and the you know, four rounds of hiring that they've just done, like, oh, wow, yeah. now there's a pivot. And if I had seen those things that happened before the announcement, I could have anticipated the announcement. And that is the thing that dawns on people. They're like, oh my gosh, like I could have predicted this announcement and probably predicted the day the announcement happened if I had just been reading the tea leaves and recognizing that the hiring patterns and what the content marketing team was putting out, like that is the thing that just blows people's mind. So for you, it's more of, uh, you know, in the sales enablement space, it's more of a, how do we get our content in here, tag it, add taxonomy, you know, be able to roll that out to the sales team. That's the hill. For us, it's more of a, a knowledge, oh, this is the way this is the cool ways I could use this by mm-hmm. using our software to connect the dots as opposed to just looking at the dots themselves. Right? Does that right. make sense? Go- going beyond going beyond information to education to that yes. point. Say. Now Absolutely. that person knows those things. Yep. Uh, so so let me ask you, you know, kind of wrapping up this first thread, what you know, what what are your thoughts for people that are going to take marketing and product marketing positions at companies they love? Or flip it, people that have companies they love that want to get into positions like that. Uh, any advice, like things that, that you think worked for you or, or didn't work for you when, when making that transition from user to, to marketer and communicator? I mean, I, I, I will say don't make the mistake that I made was going in, going in thinking that everybody uses the software the same way. You know, even on its surface, if it appears like, oh, this would be the right way to use the, use the tool you're going to very quickly find out that there are people that are using it in a completely different way. You know, I watch a lot of cooking stuff on, uh, on the internet and, you know, nominally the way you would use a saucepan is by putting the bottom part down on the burner and then you like cook stuff inside the pan. Well, there's all this whole ration of videos now where people are making crepes and things on the back side of the pan. They're literally putting the pan with the, the, the open side down on the top of the burner because it's a very flat surface yeah. on, the, on the top. It sort of curves towards the bottom. So I've seen countless videos of people making crepes and you know things like that by flipping the pan over. And I'm not sure that any – like pan manufacturers had any intention of their, their tools being used that way, right? So – you know, people are ultimately problem solvers, right? And if you provide them with a great 
tool to help them solve their problem, they're going to use it in different ways and help to, in order to help them achieve that end. And it could be the way that you had intended to build it and you had intended it to be used. But going into a, a, a job uh, for a piece of software that you like with the open mind to know that, hey, you may be solving your problem in a particular way with this tool. But don't discount the fact that others may be flipping the pan over and cooking their crepes in a completely different way, right? So, by the way, the, I mean, the episode of this might be uh, the episode title might be flipping the pan because that was really good. <laughs> and honestly, the only thing I have to add to that is is we should be calling them panufacturers. Yes, I agree. <laughs> That's a missed opportunity. <laughs> It's a Absolutely. missed opportunity for the for the cookware industry, honestly. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. We, uh, call they, need, they, need be, they need better product marketing, if we're honest. That, oh, right? hey, listen, if they need anything, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jay, Kenji Lopez-Alt, call him up. And there like, you go. We love what you're doing, but you're not using near enough puns. I agree. Um, so, um, I, I, so, you know, we're, we're at a 20-minute mark here, um, kind of going forward. I, I want your thoughts... Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, in as much as Cran is very successful and Cran helps thousands or hundreds or thousands, I actually don't know the, the number of companies do their do do what they need to do. It is it can be seen in a lot of ways. Competitive intelligence period can be seen almost as a nice to have. Like if you, it's a thing that helps you sell better, but but might not make or or break your stack right. Whereas a CRM really isn't. You ha you kind of have to have a CRM. If you don't have a CRM, you, you're not able to effectively. Um, going into you know a, a period of time where a lot of people I think are, are nervous about software buying. I saw a report today that that speaking of CRM, even Salesforce is seeing that people are spending longer to make the same decisions they made a year or two, three, four years ago. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think about selling those quote unquote nice to have products in, during a downturn? How, does your messaging change? Does how you think about the company change? I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Um. It's a good question. I think about it this way, and obviously we're not using this type of imagery uh, in our right. marketing, but right. um, you could you could see it happen. You know, if you if you ever watch Our Planet on Netflix, you know you'll often see like there will inevitably be in, in one or more of the episodes, like when they go out to the to the the outback, the Serengeti, mm -hmm. and it's like prides of lions who are trying to you know take down wildebeest and ibex and things like that. When the food supply runs low. That's when the, the lion prides get a little nastier, right? Things get a little mm -hmm. more intense. Your competition by its very nature is going to increase. So during fallow periods, during times where, you know, every dollar counts, you need competitive intelligence to make sure the other guys don't take that dollar from you. You know, there is, there is a way to, 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 to sell above the fray and sell, hey, we're the only solution you need to pay attention to apropos of having any competition in the space. But I think most sales leaders now are coming to realize that, you know, you're not only are you competing dollar for dollar for other solutions to do the exact same thing, but you're also comparing for share of budget for tangential and sort of uh, related solutions, right? So if you're a sales leader and you have a choice between renewing with your sales enablement tool, your revenue intelligence tool, so your chorus or gong, your competitive intelligence tool, um, perhaps like now talking, you know, getting into the social media management and mm -hmm. observation tools, the hoop suites yeah. and the, the meltwaters and things like that is a huge tech stack that 
you know, at some point you have to say, you know, can we either hire a person to do this or give additional work to somebody to make them do whatever it is manually? Uh, or, you know, can we can we come up with some sort of internal solution? Can we just do sales enablement using Google Drive or using Confluence right. or something like that, right? Those are the type of decisions that have to get made at executive levels within executive buying groups. So for me, when you are looking at this moment where, you know, there may be an economic downturn, there may be a recession, don't use the R word, but there may be a recession, you know, what we're trying to tell potential customers is that, Right now, your competition is trying to scrounge around not just for the dollars that are owed to you, but the dollars that are owed to everybody else in tangentially related spaces. Wouldn't you want to pay attention to your biggest competitors, those that represent existential threats to your business? Winning more deals now is more crucial than ever. So I think this is one of those things that is not a nice to have, but a must have as you know the, the amount of dollars in the center of the pot are actually decreasing because people are making those types of decisions. You want to be able to stand out in front of not just your competition, but the perceived competition, the tangential competition that's competing mm -hmm. for the for the budget in your space. So again, we're not using the type of imagery of, you know, lions picking over dead wildebeest. But I don't know why making, not, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but we are trying to instill the sense of urgency where as budgets are de decreasing writ large, you want to be able to maintain that 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 budget and you want to be able to take that from wherever you possibly can and if that means taking it away from your competitors then that's the right call you know yeah yeah and and that's an interesting way of looking at it it's, it's not just the, the the things that do what you do it's the things that could do what you do or the things that yep. touch what you do that that yep. there is a, a if the pie gets smaller how can you not be the first or if you get rid of three, three things, how can you be that fourth thing or whatever that is where where now you and, and that's and that's what that's what you do? Well, we exist in a world of super tools and point solutions, right? The super tools are going to be able to, to build features very quickly that are going to be able to help them retain customers and make them, you know, keep them from running to point solutions. And the mm -hmm. point solutions are going to continue to expand and get better and better and better and improve their product to the point where the super tools can't keep up, right? So, you know, you're going to have, there's always going to be Salesforce and Salesforce is going to have their own marketing tools. And then there's HubSpot. And HubSpot's going to appeal to a particular um, a particular subset, and those two things are going to be competing. But Calendly or Chili Piper, for example, those are the, the meeting scheduling that bolt onto your calendar. You know, every sales rep has their own personal web page where you can you know book meetings, whatever. It's easy. You know, Salesforce and HubSpot offer tools just like that, but they're part of their super tools. They're not point solutions. And mm -hmm. that's what Chili Piper and Calendly are trying to do is trying to like, you know, no, use us. Don't use the, the free tools that you're – because they're just not nearly as robust. They're add-ons. They're extra stuff. And right, right. for those type of companies, the point solutions, you're not just competing. Calendly's not just competing against Chili Piper. They're competing against HubSpot because HubSpot's already the marketing technology of record within a company. At some point, you know, senior leader, industry leader could say – yeah, you know what? We're we're going to cancel our our Calendly, or we're not going to move forward with this, you know, buying process with one of these tools because we just get this for free already with HubSpot. We'll just roll this out to the sales team instead. So that is, I think, is becoming much more 
much more prevalent uh, within the SaaS space speci- specifically, but but also more broadly. You know, where you you're basically not just competing against somebody else who does the same thing as you, but you're competing against somebody who might do something similar to you, or have an add-on, or bolt-on, or additional feature that might be perceived within the space as the same thing as you, but but far less expensive because I already pay for it. Right, 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 and even and, and a lot of times they'll admit, well, this is seventy percent as good, but that's good enough, right? Like, like you see a lot of that almost messaging with those bolt-ons of like, do you really need the? And it and it's up to the consumer. Um, I, I, you know, we're I like. We are are we are in the middle of doing uh, somewhat of a similar thing where where we we are creating a learning module, right? A lot of people want mm-hmm. content, but and so our whole thing is like, no, we are not as good as a lot of those LMSs. Do you need like is that the use case you're going for, or do you need to speed up onboarding, right? And, mm-hmm. and you, you you kind of find that, and I, I think that that you try to find your ICP or whatever that that is in that swirl and, and try to meet them where they are, um, yeah, with the kinds of features and functionalities they need, um, functionality. Yeah. Um, uh, before we go, I am interested. You are you sit at the heart of product marketing for a competitive intelligence tool. Um, there's a lot of change in there, right? We're seeing RevOps get super important. Where maybe two years ago, three years ago, we weren't seeing it. So a competitive intelligence itself it, it, important. Product marketing. I. It, you said you've been in it for nearly ten years. I want you know. I, that's at this point in the industry, 10 years, that's kind of like long for product marketing, isn't it? Like it's kind of, so you've seen the ascent. W- what do you see looking forward? You know, one to five years down the line, what are some changes that you see coming down the, the pike just in the entire revenue facing space? So I think Forrester uh, back in 2007 basically stopped calling what we do product marketing. They started calling it portfolio marketing. Because what ends up happening is product marketing becomes the catch-all for anything that isn't demand gen, isn't content, isn't you know mm-hmm. social media. Like, oh, product marketing can do that. Uh, became the sort of the common refrain around enterprise businesses. So suddenly, product marketing became portfolio marketing. Now, I think over the past, f- f- call it five years, uh, out of product marketing has has grown sales enablement as its own job function. And you know this more than anybody. You're selling into companies that either product marketing owns sales enablement, it's just another thing that the portfolio marketer does, or sales enablement is something that bolts into sales. It is a three to five person team. All they do is craft collateral and you know build training modules and make sure that five to 500 to 1,000 person sales team globally is extremely well equipped to exceed their revenue goals, right? That is That was born out of a need and sort of grew from the, uh, you know, through through meiosis or mitosis, whatever, whatever the, the term is for the atom separating, that grew <laughs> from portfolio marketing. I don't think that's going to change. I think there's going to be more and more of these types of things that will grow from within product marketing and expand and, and become its own uh, its own you know department. And I think that competitive intelligence is going to be one of those things. I think that over time, you're going to see the, the bigger companies that are more established are going to either spin up their own competitive intelligence team within the product marketing organization, and we're seeing that a ton these days, or... Um, in the same way that sort of product marketing gave up sales enablement to report into sales into the revenue mm-hmm. leader, 
you're going to find that competitive intelligence is going to be given up by product marketing and it's going to report into a strategic leader. So your head of business development, your chief strategy officer or whatever it is. Because suddenly competitive intelligence becomes less about supporting the tactical areas of the organization. Hey, can I influence the product team and let them know what my competitor is building based on what I see when I read within the tea leaves? Can I build a better battle card for the sales team to use when they're selling against our competitor? And now more of the, the stuff we were talking about earlier in the show where, my gosh, like this is information that can actually truly empower strategic decision-making at the top level. What company are we going to buy this year? We just took on a huge round of funding. We got we got cash burning up our pockets. We need to be making a strategic acquisition. Who's the right company to buy? What kind of pre-vetting can we do before we even start having the conversations, before we even start doing our real due diligence? Can we do some mm-hmm. initial due diligence to say, hey, that seems like the right call to make? And I think that that competitive intelligence is going to emerge from within product marketing it will grow bigger within the portfolio marketing space to begin with, but it will eventually start to emerge and start to become its own department, probably reporting into strategy, which will, in an effect, report directly into the C-suite and, and provide so much more impact throughout the organization than just some of the tactical s- stuff that we see and that have some of the, the initial buying moments uh, for, for tools like ours, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, no, it really makes sense because the way I think about it too, and, and this is a, this is getting less and less popular, but I do like a model where product marketing does sit within product. Um, a lot of people have kind of swung back. And listen, as the head of as the head mm-hmm. of marketing, I now don't like it, but but I like the theory of it because what you get in the world that you talked about is you get if you have a fairly powerful autonomous product organization, you have strategy whose job it is to say what kind not not what features do we build but but what kinds of capabilities do we need to invest in and what mm-hmm. is everybody else doing you effectively mm-hmm. own the high level roadmap and competitive intelligence sitting under that that transition to product management which says what features and capabilities like what what actual features are we going to build and then that flows down to product marketing which says all right, how are we going to talk about this thing that we just built right and when you when you put it all on the same team you kind of get a coherence there but that strategy is super important, and I think that strategy is something that a lot of organizations have been viewing very differently for a while, right? Like when you think of, of strategy, it's you know sometimes like you even almost sometimes get into the software development life cycle of like what kind of company are we going to be? But for me, mm-hmm. I see a really clean line of uh, more like like you said, more strategic. But what is everybody else doing, and where should we invest? And you can measure that on things like win loss percentage and number of new sales, new eras, right? These are all things that can exist a little bit outside of direct number go up in revenue because mm-hmm. i think that's where to your point that's where this gets hairy is when all the numbers are going up it's great to say that everybody's doing a great job sales enablement's doing great product marketing's doing great as the numbers start to flatten and maybe go up yes. less or maybe sometimes go down a little bit yeah how do you know if people are doing a great job right is it sales right. enablement or sales is it the competitive intelligence or sales that's why i like kind of to what you said the separation of saying no these guys are going to worry about how well we do against and even if revenue does it goes down but we're winning more of our deals in a certain area. I know you did a good job, good job, so I, to speak. I um, I think I like the way you mentioned the, this idea of um, strategic product development, and I've I've worked with CPOs, chief product officers, that they don't want to come up with the features. They want right. to identify the problems that they want to solve next, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where the strategy comes in. It's 
do we do we what is the what is the either our users problem or the problem for a a different user that we want to help to solve and that's how you sort of expand and get out uh from from within your lane and perhaps you know you know it grow to encompass other lanes and that's when your strategic product leaders underneath that you know primary chief strategy officer chief product officer uh who's strategically focused starts building the features that solve those problems. So I really, I think that's the difference is that, you know, it's identifying what problems to solve and then building the product to help do it. So when you say mm -hmm. building product marketing and having them report into product, customer empathy is what makes product marketing different than demand generation than content marketing. We, we inherently know what the problems are right now. So when you start to, to meld in and start to bring in that sort of notion of customer empathy, and start to help that help influence strategy, that's when you can say, well, what other problems can we solve? Not just the ones that we already know about. What other, what other issues, what other challenges can we help address? And that's where I think that's a really good point, Nick, is that, um, that you, you sort of want to have a product marketing always has a voice, but have an even louder voice to help influence what happens next, what, what happens after this, you know? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it absolutely does, and it. Uh, I think that you know when it comes to the the tough part about that that I understand is yep. is saying how how do you, to that point of just like how you know how do you know if the product marketer is doing a good job then mm -hmm. how do you know mm -hmm. and I but I I think that's always going to be a little tough. I then say well you know you, you, okay you move it back a little bit. What if in that scenario? what if your customers are like your partners are your customers and your customers mm -hmm. are the sales and marketing team? What do you need to be successful? You tell me, because this is mm -hmm. what I'm going to put together for the product launch, but what do you actually need? Because mm -hmm. I'm working with the customer to give them what they need now, but what about the people we don't know, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you go into a lot of different ways. There. There's, you know, uh, people organize companies many, many, many different ways. They're far <laughs> smarter than me, but, but, but to that point, that's what I see. Um, Hey, so it's it's uh, this has been a good conversation. This is one of our longer episodes, and I'm sorry about that. But this uh, we have we have gone in a lot of uh, really interesting ways here. But before we break, uh, anything to plug? Anything to to mention to uh, the people listening? Yes. So one of the things that that we do once a year, every year, is our um, uh, uh, state of competitive intelligence. So it is it is the you know, we've done it for six or seven years now. We we poll and survey hundreds of product marketers all over the world to get a sort of an inch deep, mile wide, and the state of competitive intelligence as an industry. Um, we have a trove of data uh, over these past seven years. Um, people identifying themselves as product marketers and talking about their challenges and, and really w what it is what it is that, that really matters to them. Um, and we are now using that for something more than just a content deliverable. So we've rolled out something called our competitive program greeter. So crayon.co slash competitive hyphen program hyphen greater. And based on the data that we've acquired over these past uh, six, seven years from, you know, real product marketers, it's a 13 question quiz for any product marketer to take to help grade their competitive intelligence program. You know, give give me a, a letter grade, or at the very least, give me some guidance as to what I should do in order to get myself to the next level. It takes about five minutes. It's no time at all. And at the end, you're actually given 
quite literally, uh, you know, a step-by-step series of instructions, you know, what you, what you can do to make improvements. So we'll tell you what you're doing. Great. We'll tell you where you've got room for improvement, how you can execute on opportunities for improvement. And really based on this trove of data we have, how your competitive intelligence program stacks up to others. So that we are rolling out this week. It's very, very, very exciting. Um, it's going to help us, you know, provide some additional guidance again, completely for free to product marketers all over the world. They don't need to buy our software to get a, a grade and get guidance. It just, it's free. Um, crayon.co slash competitive hyphen program hyphen grader. And you can take that assessment instantly um, and get an understanding as to where you are on the spectrum and, you know, little bullet points and things that you can do immediately to help improve that program. So really excited about that. Something we are rolling out uh, this week and uh, um, it's going to be very, very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that uh, I'm excited to see that. I'm sure that that was quite an undertaking. We will have a link to that on the podcast page for anybody listening. Uh, you'll be able to see that. But uh, excited to see how that turns out. And honestly, thank you very much for the discussion. This was a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, has, Eric Manser. It has been an absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much. Longtime listener and uh, glad to be a guest. So I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. This has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by enablers. My name is Nick Lopez. Thanks for listening.